Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter. You know, we have a, we do this, we're, this has become tradition and we we do it every week and it, it actually manifested over the course of, of Saturday, my friend. And we talked about this a lot yesterday of lacking perspective sometimes as Buckeye fans because we hold this team and the program to such a standard and we really are judging Ohio State only against Alabama and only sometimes against mythical Alabama, right? I don't even know if it's legitimate Alabama. But on Saturday, um, we, it kind of played out almost like, remember in Ohio, we used to have four seasons. Like we had, we almost had the four seasons of a Saturday as, as Ohio state fans, you really got every, a taste of everything. And I thought it was interesting as, as the game was going on, um, most, and I, one thing I do, and I, I think you do this too. And most of us do this, if, unless we're at the game as fans is we, I dual screen it. So I watch in the game and I'm on Twitter because oh, yeah. I like seeing if I miss something or, and I, you know, you have a fun comment or something like that. I enjoy that. I like seeing other people's comments. It's, you know, it's enjoyable way to watch an Ohio state game. And as the game is going on, the perspective of those covering and fans of Ohio state was we're terrible. We can't (laughs) stop anybody. Uh, We cannot run the football at all. I mean, we can't run it. We can't stop anybody. We're going to lose to Minnesota and the rowboat guy at home and they're the better team, and we're lucky to win the game. And then as the day goes along and you start to see everybody else crumble, and then you wake up, and it's 30-14, to 14 and you're second in the country. Now, <laughs> you move up. So we all watch the game, and we understand that, you know, two red zone interceptions for uh, the Minnesota quarterback are killers. Um, you think of, of the amount of ways that this game could have gone the other way and I thought Ramsey had the tweet of the day, which was, we won this game in February. I thought that was just completely spot on, <laughs> that, that we have better players. And, you know, this is why we're able to do these things and win by 16 against a team that, frankly, outplayed us. I mean, they were the more prepared, better team on Saturday, and yet we won by 16 points. And you wake up and you're two in the country and four teams in the top 10 lost. And the sun came up and it's not so bad. And um, it was it was kind of interesting to just watch the – it was, you know, there were so many levels of of – what you felt about Saturday and it all had changed. You and I introduced this last week on the show. I actually inter- brought it into the, my show with Lauren Itis today where, you know, it's now a segment where we say, did you win Sunday morning? And you and I started, we talked about this last week. We kind of originated here on the podcast. Did you win Sunday morning? And the answer has to be yes, because if you didn't watch that game, which most people didn't Haskins threw for 400, uh, you had a receiver with a one-handed catch that made every, you know, top 10, all those things. And um, you look at it and you say 30 to 14. Okay, that's good enough. And you move up to two in the polls. So however disappointed you were in the performance, you won Sunday morning. Yeah. I mean, so I think watching the game, it's really easy to get sucked into the flow of everything, you know, and especially when you, cause I definitely do where I've got the computer up and I've got Twitter up and I'm like, Oh God, okay. We're gonna, I've got to yeah. do some tweeting. Got to watch some game, you know, it's and fun. It's, don't you love that though? It's, like, I think it is. Really it's, fun it's a I like it. it is a lot of fun. It is a lot of yeah, fun. That's what I think too. I think it is like, there's a communal aspect to it. Yeah. And, and you don't get yeah, like, that. Like, and honestly, you know, we talk about attendance and whatnot. I mean, if I'm at a game, I may have a nice little joke with somebody sitting next to me or kind of, but I don't have the kind of memes that I can share on no. Twitter. I don't have the dumb inside jokes. I'm not sending hashtags to people sitting next I to agree. me. So it's, it is really fun. And the communal aspect of it is exactly right. I mean, you, you get to interact with literally thousands of people in, in some instances, uh, you know, with your dumb joke or whatever. And it's, it's cool. It's fun. Uh, you know, I, I think it's really easy to get sucked in while you're doing that, though, to the the general flow. I'll have everybody's feeling. If somebody's negative, somebody else will be negative, and then you kind of get sucked into that. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was sitting there and watching. I'm like, there's some clear issues here. Like the defense has severe problems in the secondary that need to be solved. The offensive line had a terrible game. Uh, they can't run the ball. All this other stuff. But if you focus on the things that are going well. It it can be a hell of a lot of fun to watch Ohio State football. It, you've got a quarterback that has thrown for you know a trillion yards in the last two games, a wide receiver core that makes no sense that they're playing as well as they're playing. They they have just been night and day from last year to this year. There's a lot of cool. I mean, you know, this, the specialty you had a guy step in on special teams and a great field goal. Again, it's it's not going to beat Alabama next week, but it's also still pretty fun to watch. I think a lot of ways and and maybe I've just made peace with the fact that I don't think Ohio state really is the second best team in the country, but it's 
to me, I'm going to pick the things that I really like and not worry so much quite yet about the things that are really kind of pissing me off, I guess. Yeah, I think I think it's one of those things where in the moment you're bothered by a lot of it and the things yeah. that bother you and they're real. Like we're seven games in and we're not good defensively. I mean, they, no. they gashed us. Uh, they ran on us at will. They were more physical. They won the point of attack and they ran the football whenever they wanted to against us. And that hasn't changed. We're seven games in. We're fully formed. Um, the same was being said of the 2014 defense, if you remember. But as it went along, that team did adjust and get better and better to the point that it was pretty good by the end of the year. But that team had Luke Fickle coordinating it and it had a bunch of NFL players on it. I don't know if this one does. It's got a couple. I don't know if it's got a bunch. I don't see the playmakers at linebacker that were on that 14 team. I just don't. No, um, no. And so that's um, that's the big drop off there is just the linebacker play in general. And then I think the other thing that's very real is we, we aren't we can't run the football. We just can't. And I don't think it's all on. I think some of it is on personnel, but I think mostly it's on scheme. And, and the reason I say that last week we were 3.2 yards a carry um, and this week we were 2.9. So we yeah. got worse. You know, Wait, we, no. we said we're going to run the we're They've gonna run the ball and, and then we've gotten we're two point yards, two point nine yards of carry at Ohio State yeah. um, where it was, you know, eight yards in a cloud of dust with everybody from your boy El Guapo through Zeke and so forth and so on. And now we can't run the ball. And the reason for that is very, very simple. It's no more complicated than this. We have a quarterback who is not a threat to run the football and we're running read option. So basically what happens is and there's myriad plays that you can watch on any given Buckeye Saturday and see where the clear read for Dwayne Haskins would be to not give the ball to the running back, but rather to fake it and 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 get outside because the defensive end is now just crashing and they're not even paying any attention to Dwayne Haskins. None. No, they're going right for the running backs. And so basically Weber and Dobbins are just getting hit almost as soon as they get the ball. And so that to me is incumbent upon the coaching staff to, if, if it's really important to run the football, which I'll raise my hand and say, frankly, I don't think it is because I think you have a top 10 NFL pick at quarterback right? Um, and you can throw for 450 a game if you want. Um, but if it's really important for them to run the ball, well, then they've got to stop running read option and they've got to just, they've got to find other ways to get those guys running the ball effectively without it being a position where Dwayne has to read a defensive end because he's never going to keep it. And I don't blame him. I mean, he's a, he, he that's not who he is. So, well, for this the is a one-year vacation player, for Urban, and he's got yeah, to be able to. Players, to be able to can, that. For the defensive player, they can look at Dwayne Haskins and go, you know what? It doesn't even matter if he keeps it because if I hit the wrong dude, I can get up and then run after him before he gets across the line of scrimmage. Well, my buddies will get him because yeah, he's not exactly. A, they don't care. That's it, my point. So they've there, got to adjust. No, right for the defense, there's no read. They don't have to worry about it. No, and it's. No, and they're not. At the beginning of the year, they were just out of respect to the offense. They were, sure. and now they're not. Like you watch the film from Indiana and this week against Minnesota, and the defensive ends at Minnesota, they didn't give a damn about Dwayne. None. No. Just let him, and they just went right at tailbacks. So now I don't think it's a problem because we're throwing for 450 yards a game. So it doesn't affect me, but it bothers Urban, clearly. <laughs> like it bugs him. <laughs> Uh, that they're not doing this and it's something that eats at him obviously but I don't it doesn't bother me at all because I think we're as dynamic as anybody in the country and I think the bigger concern for me is our pass blocking Isaiah Prince got eaten alive Saturday and yeah. I'm more concerned about that against Clemson and Alabama than I am you know an ability to to run the football because I think Haskins is provides plenty enough on his on his right shoulder um, to keep pace with almost anybody in the country. Yeah, if they keep him upright, then they're yeah. good, and that's and that's the biggest thing. I mean, you've got to make sure the dude, you know, keeps his shirt clean, and there's not uh, a lot of pressure in his face. But I mean, you saw a little bit towards the end of the game when they were trying to ice against Minnesota. They got a little bit more creative with their uh, running plays and figuring out that obviously Dwayne is not going to be a threat for anybody. I mean, Mike Weber had a couple runs. They really stretched the uh, the defensive line a little bit in the fourth quarter uh, towards the edges, which is what you need to do. I mean, you've got guys who are fast enough to do that, even with uh, maybe guys who's a little gimpy and, and Weber. But yeah, I am personally just thoroughly enjoying this throwback, you know, Texas Tech circa 2008 type of offense where you're just throwing for a trillion yards a game and you've got wide receivers who can make every single catch and run every single route. And if you can look, be confident with who you are. If that's who who Ohio State is, where you're going to break every Joe Germain record and you're oh. going to throw for 50, yeah. like, fine. 
that's fine. I, I have yeah, no problem good. watching an Ohio State team that does that. And if you can I win doing that, that's fun as hell. I'm cool with it. I am totally down yeah. for an air raid offense at Ohio State. So I hope they keep it up. Yeah, I mean, he's more right now, and I think I think we were the ones who put this out. I saw the stat that through seven games, Dwayne is ahead of Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield's pace. Yeah, for touchdowns, he's right there for throwing yards and ahead of both of them for touchdowns, throwing touch. He's got twenty eight or something. Yeah, he's, got, he's averaging three hundred and thirty three yards a game of passing. Yeah. Is That's that nuts. yeah? I mean, so that we've never seen anything like this, obviously. Mm-hmm. And this is this is a this is like the offense Oklahoma ran last year with Baker Mayfield except even more of it is down the field. I mean, it's big bombs. Like this is almost an Xbox offense. You know, we've never (laughs) seen anything like this at Ohio state, obviously by the fact that he's going to break Joe Germain's records by November 1st. I mean, he's, he's just going to destroy whatever's left of the Ohio state record book on a single season thing. And this is something that I got so many people so pissed at me today about this, because I just think it's a foregone conclusion. He's gone. And people keep saying, why do you keep saying that? Why do I'm like, I, to me, he's a Heisman finalist and he's gone. And so I'm just enjoying him. And I'm like, all these people were mad at me about it. And I said, boy, I guess if you want to live in a fantasy world where this kid isn't a top 15 NFL draft pick and he's not going to New York because you're worried about his ego, then I guess live in that fantasy world. But Dwayne's not bothered by any of this. I think he's completely unfazed and he will be in New York. I mean, he's going to New York because statistics, unless they just completely blow it against Michigan State and Purdue or whatever, like he's going to New York. He's the Big Ten representative. You can book it. He's the Midwest representative. There'll always be somebody from the Midwest there, and he'll be it. Whether he wins it or not, I don't know. But he's going to go there, barring just this season going completely off the rails. Um, and he's going to be a first-round pick. I mean, the only kid in college football that's better than him is as a prospect, maybe, and it's only because we've seen him a little bit more, is that Justin Herbert kid at Oregon. That's it. I mean, there's there's nobody else. It, it, then it's Dwayne. And you so look you around think- the NFL. You see what these young so, kids are doing. Right, so leaving this year, right? I mean, the, the, Oh, he's the- gone. Yeah, he's the quarterback gone. class is not super deep. No, and no, yeah, he's, and he's going to make himself a ton of money. And yes. I, you know, and I continue to do. I mean, I I work in an NFL building half the time. Like, yeah, I know how people what people think of Dwayne Haskins. Right, like, <laughs> pro people well, love him. So what cracks me up like is that. Boring. Yeah, what cracks me up is that people have been using some of these stats, and I guess, and again, I'm a huge proponent of advanced stats. I am very skeptical of them as applied to football, but I'm a big fan of them in baseball and basketball. Most of my complaints just kind of boil down to sample size. But regardless, you know, there's some people saying like, you know, a lot of his passes are are these short, you know, passes no. that aren't really getting past the sticks, and that kind no. of decreases his value. I'm like, that's because that's mm-hmm. what Ohio State's running. That has nothing to do with. Dwayne Haskins ability or capable that dude can throw a frozen rope 60 yards. And if he gets drafted by an NFL team, they will ask him to do that. And he will be able to do it. What that dude gets into a combine situation and he is going to just destroy everybody else in the class. So what if you were to get drafted by take a look at this guy, it's it's he's gone. He's a big kid with a big arm and a lightning quick release with great feet. Yeah, like if you're watching him and not saying that's the NFL, then I I don't think you've watched. You don't know football. Like I don't know what to yeah. tell you. Like NFL people love him. They love him. So I don't I don't know if he'll be the. He's not going to be the first overall pick probably, um, unless there's a team that's desperate, quarterback desperate team that's in the top five. I mean it'll be between him and Herbert if that's it at this point. Um, so I mean I'm just getting used to it and I just want to enjoy it because it's a one off. You know, next year, Urban can get back to running his read option with Tate Martell and everybody can be happy, or at least he can be, because um, I love this. I love watching this kid play. He's a yeah. he's a wonder. He is an it's absolute wonder. Um, all right. Still to come, we will get into this week's game against Purdue. But first, we'll go around the Big Ten. Before we do that, though, I want to remind you to be sure and visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for hats, shirts, stickers and more. Drygoods.11warriors.com. All right, buddy, let's go around the Big Ten a little bit before we get into Purdue. Um, uh, we'll get to Michigan, Michigan state, which is this weekend first, but first I wanted to address just something that kind of gives all of us a really bad name and was just foolish clickbait. And I don't even, I, I hesitated to even bring it up on the radio show today, but then I felt like it just had to be exposed. And it was the USA today story about if Nebraska had to fire Scott Frost, they would (laughs) owe him $26 million. And I just thought whoever wrote that, should have their credential credential revoked. Like they are, <laughs> they are so not plugged in. They are unplugged from college football. If you think oh. that Nebraska 
at 0 and 7 or 0 and 6, whatever they are, would fire Scott Frost. And that yeah, if everybody at Nebraska be... didn't know what this that this is how it was going to go. Like right. we everybody knew this is what how it was going to go. And not not this bad, admittedly, not this bad. Uh, but you knew this was going to be rough in the beginning. Yeah. Well, how can how can you be that desperate at this point in the season for clicks? Like there's so many other topics that you can yeah, approach. I guess it worked because a lot of people talked about it, but basically just to point it out and say you're an idiot. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I hate I hate I hate that approach because it's like, well, you know, I'm I'm a moron, but you clicked and told me I'm a moron. Like, yeah, but nobody's yeah. gonna click after that. Lazy. Yeah, it is lazy. And there's so much other things to talk about. It's stupid. I look, Nebraska is a story team that's going through a really difficult season. And you had a guy that was obviously very hyped coming in, and, and I think people had hoped for really big things right away, but that's not really how that works. I mean, Nebraska <laughs> Ohio, people forget, uh, you know, Ohio State have been annihilating Nebraska in the past couple of years. It's not like this was a team that was just almost there and they just needed no. a coach to get them over the hump. So, yeah, it, it, it is always going to be a rebuilding process. Yes, they would like to have a better record than what they have, but it, I think anybody who thought that they were going to be, be Big Ten contenders or even a mediocre Big Ten team, I think were fooling themselves a little bit. I, I still think Scott Frost can be very good. And it's just going to take him a while to get some of the recruits that he needs and some of the players that he wants uh, to make an impact. But that those are the issues. And again, we've talked about this with Nebraska before. Those are the issues that schools like Nebraska and Iowa and Minnesota and even Wisconsin to an extent are always going to deal with. And it takes time to build up the depth that you need to really challenge the big dogs in the conference. And Nebraska is nowhere near that. So I'm not, I mean, it's insane to think that they're going to dump him after a year and, and knowing just, that, because I think they understand that. Of course. I, it was just lazy and lame. And I just, you know, just wanted to expose the idiocy. Yes. Um, also, also lame is Penn State. I mean, Penn State's pretty lame. That's, yeah. that's a bad job at home against Michigan State. Michigan State was just had nobody left. I mean, they left people in East Lansing. They're that like four of their best offensive players. And they still win because, you know, <laughs> Penn State can't operate in the final minute and force. They needed one first down with Trace McSorley and they could not get it. McSorley yeah. actually goes out of bounds, which allowed for Michigan State to preserve a timeout. And then Michigan State marches right down and wins um, a huge fail from Penn State's. And now I think we're at a point where, you know, the best thing for the conference is for Penn State. Like Penn State needs to lose to Michigan, obviously, and lose to Wisconsin. Like they need to be a four lots team now. Um, so while we were thankful for them a couple of weeks ago, now it almost has to go the other way <laughs> and they just have right. to fall off a cliff because um, perception wise, you know, we need, I guess, the two Michigans to do well. And they play this weekend. Um, Harbaugh gets a big win against Wisconsin, I guess, for him, a signature win. It's well, it, was like the first, it was the first time that Michigan had beat with the San Diego game. line. That was kind of how I did that. Like, a signature <laughs> win? <laughs> I no, guess. it was the first time Michigan had beaten a ranked team at home in two seasons, and they had the last time they did it was truth? also Wisconsin. And wow. yeah, that is his signature win up to. But you've got to beat your rivals, and that's why they've got this gauntlet here. They've got to go through uh, obviously Wisconsin, which they passed. They got Michigan State. They got Penn State, and uh, that first leg of that that little trip there went pretty damn well they looked good they looked really good and specifically their offensive line we knew that their defense was excellent but their offensive line uh put together a really good performance a really dominant performance that allowed their running backs to actually get yards somehow which is not something they had been doing they I think they had something like 320 yards of rushing which is really uncharacteristic for their team this year and uh yeah they they seemed legit they they looked good I mean again it was at night it was at home and I'm sure they were super hyped for that game, but now you got to win a rivalry game. And if they can do that, uh, they're going to be a big problem in late November. So, Good. yeah, I think that they're a team Good. to keep an eye on. Now. Yeah, what's interesting is everything that, because of what happened last week when we, we do this thing where we say, all right, who controls their own destiny? There was like four or five teams that did. And now there are a lot more because yeah. of everybody that lost. So Michigan's now one of those teams that controls its own destiny. If Michigan is, if Michigan wins out, they will play in the college football playoff. Now, of course, yeah. that means you know they still got to beat Michigan State, they got to beat Penn State, and they got to beat us. So, and then they got to win the Big Ten titles. They got to do a lot. I don't think they're at that level yet, but I do think they've figured out how to use Shea Patterson finally 
Um, it's taken him a while, but the last couple of weeks especially, they've kind of figured out who he is. I don't know if Harbaugh's gone back to his old Kaepernick stuff when he's with the 49ers, when they had a ton of success there. I don't know what took him so long if he finally did do that. But they, it seemed like they're giving Patterson a real chance to be kind of who he is, and they're, they're able to score points. Hornybrook is dreadful, and Wisconsin was brutal, just brutal. And I, I knew they'd fall off a cliff this year. I, I had him, I think, fifth or sixth in the Big Ten overall. And when I did the power rankings at the beginning of the year, I just never bought them trying to replace all they had to replace defensively. And um, and so they're they're kind of exposed. Iowa's a team now that's probably that you know because I think Wisconsin's going to lose a couple more games. I mean, I think they could lose at Penn State and um, who else was or maybe just Penn State. That's probably all else they have to pay that would be too scary for them because they've already already played Michigan, obviously. Um, but Michigan, Michigan State, you know, last week was the biggest win for Harbaugh until this week. He has yeah. got to win up there. Yeah, he has got to beat Michigan State up there. A wounded Michigan State. D'Antonio's beaten him head to head. He's outcoached him. Harbaugh has got to win that game up there. Um, it's critical for, for them. Um, and to kind of prove that this is all real, he's kind of got to slay the dragon of, of Michigan state. He's only beaten him once. It's his only rivalry win is the one win over Michigan state. Pretty amazing. Which isn't, yeah, that's completely nuts. Yeah. This is, I mean, look, I think they, the defense really to me is talented enough. They're, they're basically the second best team in terms of total defense in the country. Uh, they used to be the bet. Miami kind of slid in there last week, but I think their defense is good enough to carry them against pretty much anybody in the Big Ten. But they're so good at making teams one-dimensional. But, man, D'Antonio just seems to come up with some insane crap every year yeah. for Michigan. He does. And I don't you know, I don't know who to call in that game because I, on paper I think Michigan is way better. And you're right, like Michigan State's super banged up. But uh, it's – you just never know that it is such a crazy rivalry. You have no idea what's going to happen from year to year. And Dino's just the better, he's just a better game coach. I mean, he like, yes. they're hard to understand because, you know, like you watch them against, you know, you watch like what they did last week, you know, and they ha- they go to Penn State and win. Penn State's on a, they got a, had a bye week coming off of Ohio State. They're going to be focused for Michigan State. Their crowd was jacked up into it. And then Michigan State's playing without four of their best players and they go in there and win. And it's like, that's the most Antonio thing of all time. Yeah, it is. But then to lose the week before to Northwestern, like, you know, (laughs) which is also the most Antonio thing of all time. Exactly. Yeah. It's a really, it's a strange thing how he's, he seems to really, they really get up when they play a big game and, and they'll play obviously a very, very big one this week with Michigan. Uh, Let's, let's peek in on Ohio state and Purdue this week. This is a seven 30 Purdue lit up Illinois last week and they've kind of got their mojo back. Their early losses could have gone either way. Uh, frankly, uh, they lost in the last minute. I think it was to Eastern Michigan, I believe, late in the game and kind of a weird, weird game. They have a kid in Rondale White who could start for Ohio State. Yeah. Or at least get a lot of, a lot of targets. He's, re- in the words of Urban, he's a real one. And, and he is a problem. He's ultra fast. And David Blau, the last couple of weeks since it's been very clearly his job has really started to establish himself as a real threat and then they've got a running back named dj knox who is pretty damn good they've got some they they are going to score points on us because worse offense have scored points on us than them i know i've seen him do it so they are going to score 30 they'll get 28 35 on us for sure i'm certain of it and i think we'll just need to be in the 50s but i don't sense based on what i've seen of us offensively and the fact that i think jeff brahm is you know, borderline brilliant when it comes to a play caller. I've seen nothing to make me believe that Ohio State can shut them down offensively. No, well, I mean, I, I've seen nothing to see that Ohio State can shut down virtually any team offensively. I mean, they, you know, right. they will they will figure it out eventually after halftime. But th- the problem is, is that if you're playing a team like that, this is their this is their biggest game of the year. It's not even close. Like yeah. they are so gunning to take down Ohio State. Brom, I think, is an excellent coach. They have righted the ship on their season. They this is their like this is their Super Bowl. This is their national championship. This is their playoff, whatever you want to call it. This is their Rose Bowl. They are coming after Ohio State. And to do this at night at Purdue is just the worst mojo in the history of the universe. I hate how it feels. <laughs> the hair is on the like on the back of my neck are standing straight up because I just it, it is so 
bad. It's like a voodoo doll. Like somebody just sticking pins and needles into me because everything yeah. about it is just trending bad because you see these matchups. And you're like, Oh God, like why is this going to have to score 50 points to win this damn game? And it's just look on paper, Ohio state's the better team in my brain and in my, you know, extremely paranoid gut, there's, this is a 50, 50 matchup. And then that's what freaks me out about it because it is, there's just so much, in the air and tangibly just just kind of going around this this whole setup and i'm it, it's exciting because it's it's kind of fun that it's that scary and yeah. weird but, uh especially after the games that we've had recently but um yeah man i just i don't know how i feel about this game i'm not super I think confident i would feel more like you if it was noon or 3 30 i'd feel more like you because i so would you, think so, that would be, so you think the, the i think the 7 30 goes the other way okay yeah, I think the I think when the lights are bright, if you're Ohio State, it has your attention. Right. Um, it's prime time. It's gonna it's gonna get a regional play around the country. You know, so um, or is it a national game? It might be a national game. I think I think they might. Yeah, I think they might bump that is up. It a Fox, is it a Fox yeah. National or is this? A, no, it's an ABC because I think her. Yes, yeah, ABC. It. So yeah. this is the national ABC game. That's crazy. This, yeah. That's how bad the week is. That this is the national ABC game. Well, <laughs> yes, pretty crazy. That does, yes, that says a lot about how the scheduling has worked out. For, yeah, this uh, is a this is obviously a bad week for scheduling to where this yeah. is the the national league. Well, yeah, because I think game days at like Washington State, Oregon. So, I mean, like there's nowhere to go. Um, so the fact that this is the national, I guess you had a choice between Michigan, Michigan State or this one. You had Michigan last week. So you felt like, well, we'll take Ohio State this week. Um, that's not great for in terms of the national game of the week. But I think because it's night our guys will have the focus. I think you're pretty laser focused for a night game, national TV, Herb Street and Fowler. When's the last time Herb Street and Fowler in West Lafayette? I mean, <laughs> that's been a while. I mean, yeah. it's been a long time since they've had a, like a national game in West Lafayette. So the fact that they're getting it's incredible. Um, so I think because of those factors, I think Ohio State will be pretty keyed up. I think you'd have bigger cause for concern. And like Ramsey said this week, like we won this game in February. So like we just need to show up a little bit and we should be fine. But I think if it's a noon or three thirty BTN or you know FS1, I think you have a better chance of sleepwalking it. I don't know if you sleepwalk when it's on national TV, and I think Urban will make sure that's articulated this week. Yeah, that I, that's a fair point, especially because a lot of times I forget who was saying this on. Uh, I was hearing an interview with the coach on the radio. It was pretty exactly what the situation was, but they were saying. You know, sometimes when you get into those situations, the onus is actually on the home team, sometimes more than the visiting teams. The visiting team, you're super pumped. You're going to play spoiler. You know, it's it's easier to kind of get in the flow than the home team, which kind of, you know, they exhaust all of their energy at the beginning of the game. And once they realize that, oh, crap, you know, they're they're running, you know, defensive linemen, you know, four deep. And we kind of got one guy who's gimpy and now we don't have an offensive line. That's the kind of stuff that tends to pile up at the end of the second, the beginning of the third quarter. Um, yeah. And that and that really does turn the table. So, you know, like I said, on paper, Ohio State clearly is the better roster. And Purdue, I mean, they're – especially their passing game, we've, we've just said, is incredible. They've got wide receivers. They've got a quarterback. So doing great things. But uh, their defense is not super hot. And Ohio State should be able to score some points on them, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think it'll be actually be a really fun game, and I think it'll be a shootout. And I think there'll be times when you're terrified, um, because they can, they will score, and then it you know it could get to a chance where you have to chase. But I don't think it'll. It doesn't to me because of the recipe of Iowa last last year was you just didn't nobody saw it coming. You know they weren't very good. It was a mid, wasn't it a three thirty? Yeah. yeah, you know, like it's it was one that you had a pretense propensity to sleepwalk through. I mean, my guess is is that place is half scarlet and gray Saturday, um, knowing the way we travel, or at least a third. And so I I think it's going to feel great, and I think it's going to. The last time I was there, it was like that, and I think Ohio State will be focused. It'll be under the lights. It frankly it'd be a game. It's a sneaky place. I like going there. I don't like the yeah. drive there. But I really like their campus. I like seeing like the Neil Armstrong stuff around. I like the way their campus is set up. I like the way the stadium is set up. It's a smaller stadium. Every seat in it is great. The press box is fantastic. They've got uh, – I love the all grass. I mean, I think that's yeah. cool. Um, well, it's a win for me. What I, was about I, to say I about like Purdue. it. Like West Lafayette, the actual stadium itself is this classic college football stadium it's really well yeah. done i mean i love the natural grass like you just said i mean yeah it's it's a hell it's it's, it's cool. a really cool place to 
you know, to see football, especially on TV. And isn't Mackey like right there? I think so. Yeah, it's like right next Mackey door. Mackey Arena is like right there, if memory serves. And it's all of that. It's all the brick everywhere. I, yeah. I like it. I, I think their I think their actual campus is is pretty cool. And um, I don't know. I I'm a I'm a stick. I I'm a softy for anything about like 60, 60s NASA. So I see all the Armstrong stuff. It gets me right. jacked up. So, um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm for it. I I think it's a fun little road trip. I would go there and recommend that you do. Um, all right, we'll get to our three things for the Buckeyes and the Boilers in a second. But first, I want to remind you: don't forget to follow the Eleven Dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Before we get to the three things. Ask us anything, my friend. Do you have anything for us this week? We do. So if you guys would like to ask us anything, you can uh, do that by sending us an email to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter. Let's start off with uh, Steve here. Um, he So, by the way, this is right up my alley, but he uh, he asks us, <laughs> making, a murderer is coming, making a murderer, I guess, is coming back to Netflix and is uh, a huge murder conspiracy story. That makes okay. me wonder what our our favorite or most interested in conspiracy or murder stories. I had a guy who, um, when would this have been? This would have been in two. Kennedy was killed in 64, uh, 63, 63. You're the history teacher, 63. So yeah. 2013, um, all of the Kennedy stuff started to come out and weren't right, some things right, unsealed right. Um, because it had been so long or whatever. And I had a guy, who I had gone back and forth with on myriad things who sent me uh, the preface was something like, Oh, it's long. This may seem nuts, but please read this. (laughs) And it was God, 50 pages of, (laughs) of stuff that he had in word in a word doc with like, you know, 12 point font that had been, uh, you know, all of these things on the Kennedy assassination. And I had known, you know, that, that there were all sorts of conspiracies to it. But so I read this thing and it was well thought out and really, I mean, there was a lot to it. I don't know if I ended up any more convinced or not by the end of it. I tend to think it was pretty straightforward, but who knows, but I will say that that was, it was fascinating to me um, to, to read stuff that I was not aware of. And however you interpret those things is, I guess, up to you. But it was just interesting to read all of the different things that were going on at that time and that that's become, you know, like how big of a conspiracy is around that. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy to see um, just the layers involved, especially with things like the Kennedy assassination and the moon landing, and everything else, because there's just the thing is, is that some of these things are so intricate and have had extremely long government investigations into them that required you know hundreds of man hours or not hundreds but hundreds of thousands of man hours of people looking into it and and millions of dollars spent investigating it and so there's so much documentation that when it's released people are like holy crap and they just get overwhelmed and i think that reinforces some of the uh the conspiracy theories i actually teach a class about conspiracy theories oh really uh, at my school yeah i do and it's perfect for you then yeah, it's fascinating. I've studied uh, conspiracy theories a lot in the past maybe five years or so, just how they originate and how they perpetuate, how people spread them, things like that. I would say that my favorite conspiracy theories, I don't know if there's any that I really like take any stock in, um, but my favorite ones are not necessarily the governmental ones or the ones involving you know, the really super serious stuff where there's often a, uh, you know, like a heavy, con- like, you know, racial element or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, political element. Th- those aren't the things that I get into because, first of all, they depress the hell out of me and they also are really just a lot of bad people involved with those things. Um, but what I like are the really crazy pseudoscientific ones because oftentimes these are people with no scientific, you know, expertise whatsoever. <laughs> and they read an article on Wikipedia, completely misinterpreted it, and then have spent their entire lives justifying that incredibly bad reading of like quantum mechanics or something like that. Those are the conspiracies that just crack me up. There's a lady, I, you, you have to look up this video on YouTube, and I'll, I'll put a link on it in the post. Uh, her name is D Boots on YouTube. I don't know if she's still posting okay. on YouTube. This is a very old video. Uh, but it's called the uh, Rainbow Sprinkler Conspiracy Theory. And she believes that, like, the government's putting 
uh, like metal salts in her water supply. And she's, this is like in 2008, she's taking a picture of her sprinkler in her backyard and there's like a rainbow effect in her sprinkler. And she's furious because she knows that there's no way that that is a natural occurrence. We know that there weren't <laughs> rainbows and sprinklers 20 years ago. This is because the government is putting mind control chemicals in our water that oh, is creating this effect. And she's like, and she's like narrating it like she's Walter Cronkite, you know, going to Vietnam. <laughs> well, hot today, July 22nd. And it's just, it just cracks me the hell up. So I, I love good. people who just misinterpret the hell out of actual science. Uh, now it's not so fun when it goes into like vaccines and stuff, but um, yeah, the goofy crap, like chemtrails. I found a website when I was putting together this uh, class where like there were these these chakras that you uh like you you say to uh to try to ward off the effects of chemtrails which i thought was really great so i've got pages and pages of these like (laughs) anti-chemtrail prayers i just i love crap like that that just cracks me up so oh last one real quick so i get super into this this is a funny story though i was walking down high street one time in college and i was just you know putzing around going into different stores and stuff and i saw a mattress store and i walk into this mattress store and uh you know super overpriced crap i was like there's no way i can afford any of this stuff and so i immediately you know do a heel turn and walk out and on my way out i see these gigantic photos that are like five feet by eight feet like i'm like what the hell why why would you and they're terrible they're garbage photos like somebody's backyard and they're just like you know whatever and so i asked one of the people working there i'm like hey what's the deal with these photos i don't i don't get what i'm looking at and like oh you know about orbs you don't know about orbs you know and of course <laughs> orbs are flashes of light that that you know reflect off dust particles and pollen in the air that create little orb effects in your crappy camera but she's like no 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 these are these are spirits from beyond oh good lord and and they will protect you while you sleep. So you just got to be aware. <laughs> and I was like, bye. And then I just peaced out. So I guess, if you know, anything, I guess anything that gets you through. Yeah. Anything man. that gets hey, you through. I don't, I don't hate if You know what? Yeah. If that's, if that's your thing, that's your thing, man. It doesn't, doesn't hurt anybody. I think it's you. crazy, but you know, there are worse things that you can buy into, I think. Yeah. Um, all right, this next one's from Bill and Medina. He wants to know, is it possible in today's college football to have both an elite passing offense and an elite defense? Because it feels like nobody actually is able to field that. That's pretty good. Um, I'm trying to think. I was trying to think of the great passing offenses of recent years. And, uh, like, you know, obviously last year Oklahoma was undone by their inability to stop anybody. It's, yeah. it's rare that we've seen um, – you know, even the best Oklahoma teams, when Stoops really had a really great defense, and I'm thinking of like Jason White and Sam Bradford, uh, they were still exposed pretty good. Um, predominantly pass offense with a great defense. He's but he might be onto something there. I I can't think of one. I'm sure one exists. Why are I'm sure things someone, mutually exclusive. Like I don't because you're on the. I agree because you're on the field so quickly again. Because no. you don't control the you don't control the clock, so that if you right. have a predominant pass offense, the drives are quicker, and so the defense is on the field more, which gives the other team a chance to score quicker. It's just more snaps, and so that's really it's really as simple as that. And it might just be as simple as you know the defense is is more tired. Um, there were probably you know probably now that you say it, now that I'm thinking, you know the late '90s, uh, Florida State had some incredible uh. pass offenses with. Um, uh, Danny Cannell and Thad Busby and even Charlie Ward before that. And that they ran the fast break offense. Mark Rick was the coordinator and then eventually Chris Wanky. And they had like four or five quarterbacks there in the nineties where they scored by the boatload and they threw it more than they ran it. They had good running backs too, Warwick Dunn, obviously, but I mean, they were, they were predominantly throw teams and their defenses were the best in the country. So there, there were a couple of those, but you got to go back a lot of years. I mean, and I don't even know if you consider those Florida State teams, you know, pass offenses. They just were really good at it. Um, right. But there aren't many. Some of those Gator teams with Spurrier in the 90s were like that, too, where they had some great, great defenses and they threw it all over the place. But we haven't seen one recently. I just think that's fascinating. I think that's a really interesting. It's a great question. Um, all right. Last one. There's there's a question we have about uh, the BC or not the BCS, the playoffs. Um, we can get to that in a few weeks. Actually, I want to I want to end with this. We got this from a couple people. Uh, what's your reaction to the crew uh, being saved? What's how are you feeling? Oh, are you, do you enjoy that? Ever. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's the best thing ever. I did crew extra for three or four seasons when I first moved to town and I didn't really know much about MLS and I didn't know much about, I knew a lot about soccer, but I didn't know much about MLS. I didn't know how the league worked. I didn't understand the support locally. And I quickly came to find, find out that the Columbus crew were a, um, were, were held in such high regard by, by some incredibly passionate fans who were incredibly misrepresented uh, in the city and who were not given proper attention by the people who controlled who got talked about in that town and um the columbus crew for the majority of their existence because i this is going to get long but this is the way i feel about it um so i apologize um i think because lamar hunt was an outsider the columbus crew were treated as such they were treated treated as second class citizens for much of their existence, they were stuck in obets. Nobody would, they couldn't get a stadium done. They, the land wasn't available for stadiums. Um, and the people who controlled the press predominantly in Columbus had no real interest in, in treating the crew as equals. Um, they were, they were never on the same footing as the blue jackets. And I always thought that really based on average attendance and give a damn level, the crew probably were, should have been treated as equal to the blue jackets for the majority of my time there. If you looked at attendance figures and you looked at it's less games, I get it. Um, but, but that, that maybe they didn't deserve to be treated the same as the blue jackets, but they probably should have been in the vicinity and they weren't. And so it, it really bothered me that it wasn't until the crew were to be taken away that I felt like the city went, well, wait, you can't take this. We love the crew. And I thought, well, no, you didn't. The city didn't. Yeah. There were loyal fans who loved them to death. And, and those loyal fans were rewarded because they're the ones who did this, the save the crew movement. They did this. This is, this is the voice of, of a passionate group of people who saved a professional franchise and, and bettered Columbus. This would have been an incredible loss for Columbus. There would not have been another pro sport team in Columbus in any future, in no right. future. I mean, there was nothing. This the NFL's not coming. The Major League Baseball's not coming. And the NBA's not coming. I got news for you. None of that's happening. So you, this was your only other thing you're going to get other than the NHL. And if you'd have lost it, you wouldn't have got another one. And save the crew, save that. The last thing I will say. So I'm so happy for those people. Um, the last thing I will say is obviously for the last few months I've worked pretty closely with the Cleveland Browns, and I will just tell you this for the people who you know, work for the crew who might be listening to this or fans of the crew who might be listening to this, you will not, you could not have done better than the Haslam family. You will not believe the way they treat that organization. You will not believe the way that they treat their employees. You will not believe the extent to which they go to win. There will not be a dime that is saved in an effort to make that team win. And they've got it started to finally get figured out in the NFL. But I would say their lack of success in the NFL was not for lack of trying. And so you will you will see that manifest in Columbus. And the, the Columbus crew that you get under Haslam ownership, when the new stadium is built, and when you see when they flex and how they treat their people, you can't believe how Browns employees are treated. You can't believe it. Like, I think of all the great players that wore that canary kit, Johnny, and were treated like second-class citizens by ownership. And the way that they had to travel, I mean, commercial flights and, oh, it's just a joke. Uh, The training facility, everything. Um, Always treated as second class on a a bargain basement. And none of that will be the case anymore. That will be first class. It's the only way they know how to do things. So in a weird, strange way, maybe the best thing that happened to the Columbus crew was Anthony Precourt. Yeah, well, and I I will say that for me personally, like I'm, I'm not a gigantic crew fan, but I definitely follow them. And I am just super pumped and happy for the guys who are the diehards who have, you know, they won been there from day. Yeah, they won. And not only did they win, but they, they were really smart about it too. They used, uh, you know, obviously social media and all that stuff they need to do, but they were smart enough to get the politicians involved, use the, you know, the Medell law to like force the MLS to have to open their books if they wanted to try to contest mm-hmm. some of that stuff, which I, I think was probably the deal breaker, frankly. You're right uh, to think that. You know, I You're think that's right what really that. got things moving. Yes. Um, yep. Because they did not want to do that at no, all. No, they, they don't want people to know how few teams make money. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, but the other thing about it is the, I, the synergy is awesome. I mean, if you can get a situation where, you know, the Cleveland Browns are coming down to Columbus, you know, to do some practices on the crew field, and maybe they go up there to do a game. Like it just, mm-hmm. it helps. 
I think the state overall, but it also really helps the crew kind of expand their brand a little bit. Plus you've got an MLS team in Cincinnati, which is an automatic rivalry, which is awesome. Yeah. Plus you, if you've got the Austin thing going on, they can come up here and people get super fired up and angry. I just think this is a really, really good situation for the crew. If they get a new stadium, that's more like soccer based than, you know, mid nineties generic sports arena. based. I think, yeah, Yeah. I think it's going to be great. Now, the last part of this, though, is now you got to be careful because what's going to happen is, is that they may use the enthusiasm of the city. Like, yeah, we got the crew to try to ask them to pay a little bit more for a stadium than I think they should, which is basically, you know, zero. So I I think that's where yeah. now fans have to kind of step back a little bit and go. We also got to make sure that we're not getting fleeced here because that's what essentially what happened with. Uh, the Reds and the Bengals in the late nineties where they were like saying, well, maybe we've got to get out of here. And Hamilton County basically told them we will pay any amount of money to keep you. I don't think you'll see that you want. I think it'll be more on the line. What Jimmy did with the Browns when he bought them and the city kicked in a certain amount and then he kicked in a lot more. And I think it'll be similar to what Dan Gilbert has done with the Cavs where the city kicked in, I think a hundred and maybe 150. And then he is kicked from reports. He's kicking upwards to another half billion. Right. Um, I think it'll be more on that line. I think the city's going to have to give some. I mean, and yeah. that's probably part of this deal that the city say, all right, you can put it by by the Clippers Stadium, you know, just west of the Clippers Stadium. That's prime real estate, and I'm sure they will do. There, the city had the city treated the crew like crap forever. That's true. I mean, that's that's the reality. They treated right. them like garbage forever, and now now that until they were going to be taken away from them, and then it became a political issue. So, um. You know, I you know don't know what you got till it's gone, and it was damn near gone. And and the, these people with Save the Crew saved it, and then the Haslam's swooped in with and wrote the check. So this was, you know, the city's going to have to give some on this. I agree with you. Don't be held hostage by it, but at the same time, I think there's no way the Haslam's do this if we're if they're just scratching out a check for you know five hundred million for a franchise for a, a stadium. They're not doing that. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And plus, I mean, soccer state, you're not looking at the same kind of investment and. Uh, situation that you would normally and and there no, is there great and it would be great for downtown yeah to have yeah, a, another stadium down there yeah i mean it'd be great that'd be great and it helps, and, all of a sudden, and it helps certain other like you know it, it expands the season where people are going to that area especially you know you're talking about like the arena district and whatnot so that that yeah, helps a lot too, that, I think. Season, that season's march to november right that's a long season yeah you know and you're gonna now you're gonna get back in the U.S. national team rotation. You get a you know you get a USA Mexico in a couple of years when you get a new stadium. So, yeah, I mean this is this is a no brainer. This is great. Yeah, this is it's it's about as good as it gets. Yeah, I'm pretty pumped. All right, so that's ask us any for, ask us anything for this week. Please go ahead and continue sending those in. Those are a lot of good questions. All right, buddy. Three things for the Buckeyes to beat the Boilers. Um, look at I mean there's a this is this is who we are. We need to embrace who we are ride Dwayne and just forget the run game and just let him spin it. I mean, yeah. let's, let's, Go. let's, let's get rid of Schleister. I like Joe Germain, but let's get rid of him. Like let's rewrite the record book. Let's go another four twenty eight. Well, no, let's go four sixty one and in, in three scores for Dwayne on, on Saturday. Let's really start to blow this thing open. Yeah. I mean, that's 100% my first one too. I just be who you are, man. Like don't be ashamed of the fact that Ohio state doesn't have a balanced offense and doesn't seem to give a crap about, uh, you know, any number of things that is supposedly defining, you know, Ohio state football would just, just throw the damn ball. Who cares? Like throw it for 500 yards. It's, it's fun. It's cool. It will beat Purdue. If you do to do it consistently, I do think it's kind of hilarious that, the uh, number one ranked team in the country in terms of passing yardage is Washington State, which, of course, is helmed by Mike Leach. Number two yeah. is Texas Tech, his former team. Yeah. And uh, number three is Ohio State. So be be that. Amazing. Be that team. We've never That's been that. Right. That's so wild. Be that team. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, number two for me, I, I think you really – I just want you to be completely average defensively. I have no expectation for you to be like the silver bullets of old, but I would just like one game. Like I would like it if Rondale white doesn't have a 70 yard touchdown. I'd really like that. Just, just one game where, and this kid's probably the best playmaker we've faced. And so if we can just have one game where he, like if he, if they keep him from having a 50 plus touchdown, that's a win. So just give me a completely average game defensively. So my second thing is, is to pressure 
the Purdue quarterback early, pressure quarterbacks early, get in their face first quarter, get a couple sacks. That will set the tone for the rest of the game. Do not give them time to pass the ball because what they're going to do is they're going to do a lot of these three-step drops. They're going to go for these you know, very quick slant rounds and whatnot. You have to get in their face early to make them have to think a little bit about where they want to go with the ball. That will, I think, alleviate some of the pressure that they're going to put maybe even down the field. So, yeah, get in their face early, get a couple sacks, set the tone. My last one is really more for the players than for the fans because fans are irrational. But I hope that the players can enjoy the moment of this because I know that I I heard Urban talk about and you kind of get the feeling that some of the coaching staff feels like it's kind of like 2015 where there just is no joy even in wins, you know, because they're just not. And I hope the kids can enjoy it because you're second in the country. And if you just keep winning, you're going to play for a national championship and you're good enough to. So I hope you can find, I hope that the team can find joys in just winning because I don't know if fans ever will because the expectations are too high. And I don't know if the coaching staff ever will, but I hope that the kids who are on the team can, because this is a magical carpet ride you're on here. You get, you have a Heisman quarterback and you got the number two team in the country. Like try to enjoy these things week to week. It goes by in a blink. Can I, so, okay. So my, I would say my third thing is actually kind of along the same lines of that. Purdue is one of those sneaky classic matchups for Ohio State you you think about some of the really just emotional games that you have had against Purdue over the years going all the way back to Craig Krenzel all the way from Craig Krenzel through Kenny Guyton I there has been so much magic in this matchup and I think people need to get a little hyped about it because it's yeah it is legitimately a low-key rivalry in some ways and again it's it's not it is not the level of Penn State or Michigan. I'm not saying anything like that. No, but there have been some fun. really fun Ohio State Purdue games, and I would say probably the most fun I think I've had watching a football game, like just sitting at home casually. That hasn't been a big time, you know, rivalry or a bowl game or something like that. Was that Kenny Guyton comeback against Purdue? You that that is just so like much. the embodiment of joy. And I want more of that. Like that's that's fun. <laughs> so enjoy it. Enjoy the fact that it's Purdue at night because yeah. that's the way, in my opinion, college football should be. Uh, you don't need to have a huge rivalry week or a bowl game to enjoy football. Yeah. You can have a competent team in a cool location at a good time of day, and just you know have a have an awesome football game. So I'm I'm just pumped about. it. I think it's gonna be a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. All right, buddy, we'll be back next week to break it all down. Until then, have a good week, my friend. Yep. Same to you. See you. P.S. Ladies and gentlemen, and if you guys weren't aware, we also have one of our favorite events coming up is, of course, the 11 Dubgate. This is the eighth edition of our annual tailgate to benefit Down Syndrome Achieves. We really, really, really want you to check it out. It's on the website. We've got a uh, an excellent post by Ramsey talking about uh, all the fr- fun and frivolities that are going to be involved. And we also have uh, several sponsors, including Dirty Franks. You guys can actually vote on the delicious Dirty Frank dogs that will be coming to the 11 Dubgate. So I recommend you check that out. And I'll see you there in all my putrescence. So uh, definitely check it out. Enjoy and vote. And we'll uh, see you next time.